This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Back with another edition of the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolkin. Paul Meyerberg is here. We have a lot to talk about. We've got more coaches fired. We've got some just crazy games to go over from last weekend. But one of the things we do on this podcast is we go through the USA Today Sports AFCA Coaches Poll, and there is a big development from the poll this week, Paul. Georgia is now the number one team in the country. This is obviously a reaction to the fact that Georgia has been unbelievable. Alabama has been good, but not quite as good. Everything is coming into alignment. Georgia is now the team to beat. And I think the results so far this season support that. Yeah, hard to argue against Georgia being number one, not because Alabama's been terrible, but just Georgia's been a juggernaut. So this is just respect to Georgia. They are the defending national champs, you know, so it's a fig leaf for putting them number two in the preseason. They were number, yeah, they were number two to start the year. So they've earned it. I can't argue with it. It doesn't matter anyway. Both teams are going to make the playoff. (laughs) You really think that both teams are going to make the playoff again? How could they not? Like, what's going to happen along the way to either one of the – let's be honest. What's going to happen to Alabama along the way that's going to keep them out of the playoff? They would drop one of their regular season games and then lose to Georgia in the SEC championship, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. that would have happened last year, right? Alabama needed to win that game – in the SEC championship to get to the playoff. That's how they both get in. I don't think it's quite as rock solid. Now they may be the two best teams, but I don't know that it's that much of a given that they're going to make the playoff because Alabama has not been unbeatable. They could have easily been beaten by Texas. There are games they could easily lose coming up. Maybe not easily, but there are games they could lose. They could, they could definitely lose one of these games. It's, just, it's hard to see Georgia lose one of these games coming up. Georgia, gonna, no. Georgia's yeah, but Alabama could easily lose. I just, you know, we talked about a top three before the year. These top three teams are so interchangeable to me. It really doesn't even matter. All three of them are making the playoff. And I think the fourth team in the country uh, to me is Michigan. And uh, they're like a really far distance away from the top three, as expected. So things have gone according to plan. I just think Georgia's been better than people thought they were. And and regardless of how we respect the program, I think there's some surprise over that. How do we even know about Michigan? They're up to number four right now. They've played nobody. This has not been a good schedule for a team that has the opportunity to be really, really good. Now, it's given them a chance to sort out their quarterback situation, and now it seems J.J. McCarthy – going forward is is going to be the guy. You know, I don't think that when we get to the end of the line here, it's going to be two SEC, two Big Ten in the playoff. Uh, but Michigan, uh, they've looked very, very good. I just don't know what to believe. Yeah, it's hard to put a lot of stock into Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Uh, Hawaii and UConn in particular are, are atrocious. So, I don't, yeah, it's a – it's not – not you can't really say that. I mean, Vandy beat Hawaii by 50 or something, right? So that gives you an idea how bad Hawaii is. I think um, – yeah, I, I think the only benefit of it is that we figured out that J.J. McCarthy is pretty much a stud. So there's a benefit to it. But in terms of telling us how good Michigan is, yeah, we don't, we don't really know that. We assume, though, I, I think good things about Michigan. I just don't know for sure. 
All right, number five, Clemson. They were able to kind of pull away in the second half against Louisiana Tech. I'm still not buying Clemson, especially offensively. Number six is Oklahoma. They thrashed Nebraska. Interesting team. I think they're playing good defensively. They are starting to have that Brent Venables kind of sheen to them. And, you know, again, another team that's not played anybody of note. And obviously Nebraska is – they are down bad. That is not a good situation over there. So I don't glean much from that. But, you know, with Baylor maybe looking a little shakier than than we thought, I do – gravitate more toward Oklahoma. Number seven, USC, man, they're coming. The Trojans are coming. They looked outstanding. Offensively, they are they are they are damn good. They are going to be a handful for anybody in the Pac twelve. Oh gosh. That offense is rolling. It looks so, so good. This is that Saturday night game that gets your undivided attention because you're not going to watch Arizona State. And I just thought they looked so outstanding. And Caleb Williams looked so in control of that offense. And Jordan Addison, all those guys. Uh, I think they had two backs go over 100. I think Dye and Jones both went over 100, or at least both were close on Saturday night. The offense is clicking. I, I did not believe in this team back in August. You were more of a believer. And I think what you said has kind of proven out to be true, but to a better degree. They just simply have the, the horses to win the Pac-12. They just have the talent on offense. They could just win the Pac-12 by outscoring everybody. And I think the offense has been even better than even their most optimistic supporters thought back in August. So right now, if you're talking Heisman, I know it's ridiculous in September. I think Caleb Williams has done everything that you wanted so far to put himself in position to, to win this thing through three games. It feels like kind of a muted bandwagon. Like, I feel still I'm a little bit alone on that Lincoln-Riley-USC bandwagon. I, I just, yeah, people are acknowledging it but I don't see anybody really excited is that I you know it may just be a little bit of you know PTSD about this team and this program the last several years I I don't know what it is but it just doesn't feel like people are quite buying in yet yeah that's interesting I I wonder if it's a reflection of like a late start uh you know week one where everybody's trying to watch everything and maybe people just haven't really caught up on Stanford yet on on USC yet but they've had two chances including that Stanford game in prime time um I watched that game with like a bunch of others and I watched Fresno in its entirety and yeah I I'm on board of this being like a top uh, legitimately a top 15 team that can win the Pac-12 at a you know at 10 and 3 or 11 and 2 get into a really good New Year's Six game and go from there. I, I don't really buy them as a top four just because we know they're not complete. Yeah. But um, Williams to Addison, the running game is clicking. They're more physical on offense than they were, which is not a Lincoln-Riley hallmark. Um, so I love what I've seen. I think the bandwagon will fill up, Dan. I, I just don't think it's ever going to get to a point where we're talking about Yes, see, like seriously as a top four team. But uh, if you're trying to lay out the winners or your projected winners of the Power Five leagues right now, I, I would think – 50% of people or more would pick SC in the Pac-12. And the rest would be like Utah and maybe a little bit of Oregon, a little bit of UCLA. But SC is probably the team to beat right now based on how they look. All right, Oklahoma State number eight. Hadn't played anybody yet. Number nine, Kentucky. What is Kentucky's all-time high in the coaches' poll? Do we know that? It's got to be It's got to be close to where they are now. Well, what do we What do we say the coaches' poll? What is the, the birth date of the coaches' poll? Like in the 80s? 
Well, would have yeah. We did. There was there a coaches poll that was called something else before USA Today got its grips into it. Might have been. Might have been, but either way, unless it was around when Bear Bryant was coaching at Kentucky, this has got to be getting close to, if not already, their their program record. That's a really great question. Hey, they just pitched their first shutout in fourteen years against Youngstown State on Saturday. So we're we're seeing a lot of firsts here for Kentucky. They're they're pretty good. The offense is not that good, but overall they're a a team. They do things in as a in concert as a team: offense, defense, and special teams. All right, let's uh, talk about number 10, Arkansas. Two things with Arkansas that are worth mentioning. One, they were very much in trouble against Missouri State and Bobby Petrino, which from a narrative perspective would have been truly, truly amazing. Um, Would have been incredible. Had Bobby Bobby gone in there and, and gotten the job done. At the end, Arkansas flipped the energy switch just in time. They were... They were struggling in that game, and they they figured it out um, just in the nick of time, and and were able to kind of end up not having to sweat too too much in the final minutes. But then after the game, as we learned on Monday, I am going to read from a story out of Fayetteville, KNWA. A food company executive was arrested on a pair of charges after reportedly biting a man's nose in a parking garage in Fayetteville on Saturday night. Doug Ramsey, 53, of Fayetteville, was arrested on September 17th on charges of terroristic threatening and third-degree battery. According to a preliminary report, the incident happened at a parking garage near Razorback Stadium following Arkansas's victory over Missouri State. Basically, uh, officer was dispatched to the scene, found two males with bloody faces at the scene. The officer spoke with both parties. A witness determined Ramsey was allegedly in the traffic lane of the structure attempting to leave. A Subaru inched his way in front of Ramsey's Bronco, making contact with the front passenger side tire. So you've got a, a traffic dispute in the parking garage. Ramsey got out of his vehicle and allegedly punched through the back windshield of the Subaru, according to the report. He got out, stated Ramsey, pulled him in close, and started punching his body. According to the report, Ramsey also bit the owner's nose, ripping the flesh from the tip of the nose. What's even worse or more, um, what lended itself to a great Twitter story is that this man, who was alleged of biting flesh off somebody's nose in a parking garage, is the chief operating officer of Beyond Meat. What is beyond what is beyond meat? Nose cartilage is is technically beyond meat. Yeah. But uh maybe this guy isn't the vegetarian he claimed to be. There's so much here that's disgusting that makes you want to vomit. Um we've all been in this situation post game trying to get out of these places from a concert, uh from a Walgreens pharmacy run we've all been here uh i this is i gotta be honest this is gross this is what stuck with me you know that scene in all the movies where the the emts run over and they're like oh oh, are you okay and the woman's like it's not my blood it's not my blood it's okay like imagine running up to this guy he's got blood all over his face he's like it's not my blood and you're like uh excuse me what oh you bit someone's nose 
I mean, it's one of the most disgusting things that you could possibly imagine. That's like Hannibal Lecter style. Um, pretty safe to say that uh, he doesn't practice what he preaches, Dan. I mean, if you're going to eat somebody's nose, technically that's not like a a a mass-produced meat product like we see in the States, but it's nonetheless a meat product. We are also made of meat. Human beings. Do you have an opinion on Beyond Meat or Impossible, whatever? You don't like it? No, this is like that's as that's that's as GMO as anything, right? Like, why? What's the difference between that and and a and a piece of steak? Is it just in the preparation? Is that what the is that why I'm helping the environment? Because it's not, I'm saving some sort of environmentally. It's an environmental thing. What am I doing here? Why am I eating bad fake meat? Well, I don't know that it's bad. I, I think it's fine. Like I've had it before. You know, you have one of those Impossible Beer Burgers or Beyond Burgers or whatever it is. They're, they're all right. It's edible. You know, it's fine. Um, it tastes okay. But I just sort of look at it as like, it's not really healthy. It's not good for you. You know, like you look at what's in those things and you're not getting like great nutritional balance out of it. Like last night, just as an example, and I don't do this a lot, but I had a veggie burger for dinner last night. I was at a restaurant and I went and had a veggie burger. And I don't know. I was just in the mood for it. It's a place that I know has a really good veggie burger. It's a patty that's got, you know, sort of, um, you know, it's probably got some like black beans and oats and that kind of thing in there. And it tastes really good. They do a good job with it. I don't eat that all the time, but I do feel like when I eat something like that, I'm eating something healthy, right? Generally speaking, these things are not healthy. They're just not meat. Um, And there maybe are environmental reasons not to eat meat. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I don't what have it this? as part of a regular part of my diet. No. And if I want it, I'm having it. I'm not having like, I'm not going fake, fake faux burger. What, what does this tell us about our Arkansas football? Anything you've got a, an obviously prominent supporter of the program as a COO of beyond meat. He's making seven figures a year, or at the very least, he's making half a million dollars a year would be my guess. Um, he's making significant chunk of change. He's not making Walmart money, but big money. He's probably a supporter of the program. I like what this tells us about Arkansas because it tells us there's a toughness and a mean streak um, within the football team that has infected this fan base. Um, there's also high expectations because clearly this was a gentleman who was not just upset about a Subaru inching in front of his Range Rover in the in lot 7B. Um, he was upset that they almost lost to Bobby Petrino. This says a lot to me that's positive about Arkansas football. Um, and I like the direction that this that this takes the program. I really do. On the other hand, if this guy's such a big deal, shouldn't he be getting a better parking space that allows him to get out quicker and easier? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, he's not the CEO of Beyond Meat, he's a COO. So he's, a, he's two or three rungs down the ladder, but still... Um, I like the fact that there's an Arkansas fan out there who's so pissed off about nearly losing to Petrino that he bit someone's nose off. That's a disgusting thing to do. Uh, Don't ever kiss me on the cheek. Don't ever kiss anyone with those lips ever again. You've had flesh past them. But uh, I like the toughness. I like what it says about the brand of Arkansas football. It tells me that the brand is strong. The brand is good. The brand won't take any, any guff from anybody. Cannibalism is not a brand; it's a crime. <laughs> is it? 
I, I mean, it's... understand that if you're it's if you're a cannibal, you're to become a cannibal, you are committing crimes on the path towards cannibalism. But is is there a cannibal law on the books in Arkansas? Never had the need to really look it up. Uh, I'm from Arkansas originally. Go there every now and then to visit family. Um, next time I enter the state borders, I will make sure that I'm crystal clear on on what the boundaries are when it comes to eating human flesh. All right, let's move on. Continuing through the top 25, NC State number 11, Tennessee number 12. They're up four spots. They've got a big one this week against Florida, college game day to Knoxville. They are looking smooth offensively. Ole Miss number 13, they crushed Georgia Tech. Don't know what to make of Ole Miss. They've just not played a game that really yet gives us a lot of info. Utah 14, Penn State 15. Very impressive win at Auburn. Let's stop there. Auburn, we know what's happening with Auburn. They're going to end up firing Brian Harson. They aren't good. They are not as talented as they should be. Their recruiting rankings are a disaster. They just don't look like a real SEC team at this point. However, for Penn State to go in and handle business as impressively as they did, 41 to 12, it was never close. It was never in doubt. They obviously have a very special young player in Nick Singleton. Only carried the ball 10 times, but 124 yards, two touchdowns. Are we buying into Penn State at this point as a bounce-back team that should be in that same mix with Michigan and Ohio State for the Big Ten East title? Absolutely. And I think they should be a lot higher than number 15. I think I have them like number seven in my rankings. Yeah, yeah. Because, it's, look, like... It's not a small thing to go into Auburn and win by 29 points. Yeah, absolutely. And and regardless of... And we could spend a sec talking more about Auburn. I don't know what else there's to say. Like you said, it's obvious to me that they don't have the bodies and they don't have the the like the, the cultures and the chemistry is not there. You know, it's that's just obvious. So, yeah, they're going to change coaches. But still, uh, to go on the road uh, into Auburn and dominate the way they did, I, I that says a lot to me. Um, you mentioned Singleton. There was a 54-yard run in the fourth quarter that really put the game – I mean, the game was over, but with salt in the wounds. That was some major speed um, that he showed on that run, and that's kind of speed that I don't know if Penn State's had – at every running back since Barkley and even had at wide receiver in a couple of years. So there could be some difference making talent on this group. And I saw a top 10 team, no matter how you cut it, you win by 29 points at Auburn. I think you're a top 10 team in the country. So they're a little bit underrated, I think, and deservedly so maybe for voters who saw them go 11 and 11 the last two years. They're, they're waiting to see. I think we've seen enough to put them at least number 10 based off the teams that you just read off for ahead of them. By the way, did you see the clips of Eli Manning's show, new show, where he goes undercover to do walk-on tryouts at Penn State. Did you watch this? Yeah, I watched it. And look, I'm all in favor of jokes and hijinks. And, it really and wasn't that funny. It really wasn't. And that's sad because I think the Mannings are truly a yeah. truly funny family. Like, all three of them are hilarious, very funny people, all three of the brothers. They're good sports. They're good yeah. sports. It's just the issue for me is like, uh, it's like bad CGI in a movie. I mean, he looked ridiculous. And he's staying next to some like eighteen-year-old kid from from uh, East Stroudsburg, who's like barely has like any any 
not even any sort of facial hair. And then you've got like this guy looks like he's had 18 surgeries because he got thrown through a plate glass window or something like that. I just got taken out of the moment. But in general, I'm all for these. This just, it wasn't a home run for me. It wasn't their best. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I was entertained, but I was sitting there thinking the whole time, like this guy shows up at a walk-on tryout. There's no way anybody's buying that that's real. And you're like, are you okay? I don't want to disrupt the flow, but can I say something controversial? I think the Mannings have jumped the shark on their their uh, media promotion. I used to love their commercials. They had a lot of ESPN good ones. But in addition to this Penn State thing, which I agree with you, it's a little hokey, there is a game show that airs, I think, you know, I have no idea when it airs. It's called The Final Straw, and it is produced by Peyton Manning. And the entire premise of the game is for two uh, sets of competitive teams – to take turns taking pieces out of giant, like, Jenga stacks, but they're, like, themed. So they're, like, pirate ships, and they're, like, cakes and things like that. The whole thing. There's nothing more to it. Just think that the Mannings might have jumped the shark on their uh, their pop culture promotion. Well, producer Emily does bring up an interesting point here, which is with the Manning cast becoming such a big hit last year, and then ESPN sort of spinning that off in a million different directions, you do risk becoming overexposed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I do think the Mannings are, are right up on the precipice of that. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing a lot of them. It's almost like a, a, not a great comparison because he's like super popular across the board, but ESPN has found something in, in Pat McAfee, right? Yeah. Um, and now you're going to see him like everywhere. Yeah. Like again, people love him and deservedly so. He seems like a truly exciting and, and entertaining guy. And people love Peyton and Eli, like love that interaction, but I do think we're getting close to the point where there's maybe an overuse. There's also uh, Emily, there's have you seen the ads for like college bowl with Peyton and Cooper? Cooper. That Cooper's yeah. getting in on the action. Cooper, yeah, Cooper's <laughs> I wouldn't say finally, but there Cooper's getting brought into the fold for the TV stuff. Cooper is another guy. Who's got the? Who's hilarious? Super funny. Um, I love to see more of him on TV. But uh, the College Bowl thing feels a lot like, hey, I've got a production company and I've got like a three-year contract. Let's just throw some stuff at the wall and see what works here. All right, let's keep going down the top twenty-five. Wake Forest is number sixteen, despite barely holding on to beat Liberty thirty-seven thirty-six. I actually watched the end of this game because it was getting kind of crazy. Liberty was ahead. And it looked like they might have been in a winning position. Wake scores a couple times to to take the lead back. And then Liberty mounts a drive at the end and scores a touchdown, and crazy touchdown uh, between a couple guys. And the receiver comes down with the ball in the end zone. Hugh Freeze goes for two to take the lead with a minute to go. And they, they run this sort of like, you know, reverse throwback type thing that doesn't really work and wake was was all over it and and never had a chance they win the game i did uh i was very impressed by liberty's quarterback caden salter who enrolled at uh, tennessee initially he was a big time recruit got in some trouble i think and and ended up transferring to liberty um he looks like a real talent to me a guy that uh you know it's very early in his career, but might even have a chance to play at the next level. I, I thought he was super impressive. I don't know if you got to see any of that game. 
Yeah, I didn't see the ending because it, it happened at the same time as other stuff was going on. But I, I did see both those QBs. Primarily, I wanted to see Hartman and see how yeah. he looked. Um, I don't know how seriously – like, we're going to do this again. We do this every single year. This is like four years running. Do you just want to talk about really quick the fact that Liberty is is good again without Malik Willis? I think it's a pretty big deal. What, what are we talking about with Hugh Freeze right now? Would you talk about Hugh Freeze with any <laughs> of the current openings – Arizona State being the second, or any of the ones that you think are coming open, including Auburn. What, what are your thoughts yeah, right now? Yeah, I mean, him? I mean, to me, like, has there ever been a better marriage than Auburn and Hugh Freeze? Makes us so much sense, man. Makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, look, what kind of place is Auburn? Right? It's a little bit crazy. Willing to push the boundaries. Willing to not care when you hire a coach who's got some baggage. And everybody is making fun of them or saying that they have no morals. I mean, look at how successful it's been with Bruce Pearl, right? It's the same type of thing. And, you know, Hugh Freeze has has paid his penance. Like, I have no issue with Hugh Freeze getting another job at this point. You know, he he did what he did at, at Ole Miss. He paid his price. He went down to Liberty. Now, he makes a lot of money. He's well compensated. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake, he would love another opportunity to get back into the SEC and to, you know, shove it in people's faces. And, look, I, I think it, there was a prohibition unofficially. It would obviously never be in writing anywhere because that would be illegal. But there was definitely a thumb on the scale from Greg Sankey the SEC commissioner for a number of years to all these other programs saying, do not touch you freeze. At some point that has got to stop, right? I don't actually think it's a good idea for the commissioner of the SEC to dictate who they should hire. Right. When you look at the options Auburn's going to have, there is nobody who has the skill sets, the experience, and sort of the overall persona that would fit what they need to get back in the mix better than what Hugh Freeze can provide. I think it's an obvious marriage. Yeah. And if somehow Brian Harson somehow, some way, can get Auburn to six wins, which would require three SEC wins, just send them off to Tempe and let's keep this tight. Let's not spend four weeks on a coaching search all throughout December when we want to be spending time with our families. That, to me, makes a whole lot of sense. I just wonder if they go 3-9, and nine, like it's kind of damaged good situation with them. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Arizona State uh, eventually in this podcast. But, hey, I mean, Hugh Freeze is, is a good coach. You know, he is a – he wins games. And he's proven at Liberty that he doesn't need, you know, some massive talent advantage to – put together good teams. So, um, yeah, that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, Number 17 is Baylor. Number 18 is Oregon. Massive bounce back for Oregon, crushing BYU, crushing. This is a game we were all looking at as as potentially a very competitive matchup, a huge moment for BYU. Oregon absolutely had control of that thing from the beginning, and it makes you wonder whether Oregon – is going to eventually regret playing that game against Georgia because I think we both said at the time, like, or you were not as high on Oregon coming out of that game. Um, you know, but things look a lot different if Oregon is playing 
you know, Florida International in week one as opposed to Georgia, they're three and oh and and well within the top ten. And yet that game is going to cost them a lot, no matter what they do the rest of the season. Yeah, if they're three and oh with a win against Georgia Tech or whatever, and the way they look Saturday night, I think they might be even like number six, number seven in the poll, they'd be super high. Uh I thought that game kind of changes my perception a bit. And in addition, what we've seen from Georgia losing by 46 points to Georgia is like, that's a scar. That's probably never going to heal at least this season, but at least we understand it more now. Georgia's going to do that and put a lot of teams in a burlap sack like all season long. It's just going to be ugly for a lot of groups. So maybe Oregon's better than we thought they were coming out of that game. Almost certainly they are, um, but they needed this win in a, in a big way. I think the Pac-12 needed it, and they needed it. Yeah. And I, I think going into next weekend, Pac-12 play begins. Yeah, I, we, we, I mentioned it earlier. I think Oregon is like this, if not the co-favorite, then no worse than second or third right now in that pecking order. They're clearly good enough to win, win the league. All right, number 19 is Texas. Number 20, Texas A&M. Let's stop here. Texas A&M is 20. They beat Miami, who hangs in the pole at number 25. My, my quibble with, with this ranking is if you watch that game, and I watched pretty much all of it, Texas A&M wins 17-9, I'm not sure I come away thinking either team is top 25 worthy. I mean, that was no. not a good game. That was not a well-played football game. I would put neither team in my top 25. I, I mean, I just wouldn't. I just don't know. Maybe I'd put A&M like at 25 or 24. I don't know how you could put Miami in it. A&M, it's the same issues, right? I mean, we saw a better performance on defense, certainly, but... 264 yards. 264 so yards. So bad. It's bad. And it looked good from the from, in the beginning. I was like, okay, this offense looks a little bit better with Max Johnson. Maybe they're going to open it up. It's so conservative. It's so unimaginative. Uh, I'm just so sick of watching this team. I can imagine if you're an A&M fan, watching this team with the expectations you had just make you feel sick to your stomach because they are tough, tough, tough to watch. This is like late Les Miles era LSU offensive football. Just bad, 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 bad. Yeah, and, and the margin in the game ends up being a, you know, a muffed punt where basically Miami gifts them a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the Miami side for a second. I mean, that's, you know, that's a bad way to lose, but it's, it's something that happens every now and then. The, the thing is, you got to mm-hmm. score points. And they end up with three field goals. They missed two other field goals. And we end up back in this place where we're talking about Mario Cristobal's game management, his philosophy on offense, the fact that, you know, you're down, you're down 17 to three in the third quarter. You put together a long drive drive starts, with 10:29 left in the third quarter, it ends with 4:04 left in the third quarter, and you end up with a fourth and goal at the four yard line, and you end up kicking a 22 yard field goal to cut the deficit from 14 to 11. When you haven't really moved the ball much at all, and you start to do the math, and you need touchdowns, he does it again. Another drive early in the fourth quarter. You know they they start at their own one. They march it all the way down to the A&M 16, and they kick a 34-yard field goal on fourth and four. And, you know, just at the end of the game, like, there's so many things 
that Mario Cristobal does well as a head coach. He's obviously going to recruit well. You know, they're they're they play. They're they're, they're going to commit to play a, a physical style line of scrimmage team, but it's the same stuff on Saturday that he gets him beat over and over again in in games that that he should win. It happened at Oregon, and now it's already happening at Miami, and. They, they, they paid a lot of money for him to, to come rescue that program. Until he changes his philosophy, I don't think it's, it's a hire that's going to work out the way Miami fans want. This is a, a trend for Cristobal. It's too – I use the word conservative with A&M. I mean, this is conservative to the nth degree. And the, and the field goal that should and, and I, I think has really bothered people all the last couple of days is not the field goal to cut it to eight. It's the fact that you kick a field goal 17-3 when every single – we don't know what these analytic sheets look like that the coaches don't have laminated, but their support guy has laminated that whispers in their ear. There's no way that your sheet tells you to kick a field goal fourth and goal from inside the five down by 14 to make an 11-point game when you've probably got – you're looking at like four more possessions. Yeah, maybe three five four. More possessions. Yeah. There's just no reasonable person – who says, oh, we just got to take the points. It's, we don't live in that world anymore. And and you know what? You would say that if he was a first-time head coach or if he was just a first-time Power 5 head coach that you'd be like, okay, this is a moment that you talk to Mario about and, and, and you begin to realize that you need to get some outside assistance in terms of when you do this, that, or the other. But this is now his MO. And you got to take it or leave it. This is who he's going to be. I think Miami is going to take it because, like you said, they are moving in the right direction. But they need to be prepared to have moments like that all season long, all tenure long, because this is just who he is at this point. It's just who he is. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a theme that we're going to need to watch. All right, let's address this in the coaches' poll. Uh, not good, voters, not good. Michigan State is number 21. Miami is number – I'm sorry, Washington is number 24. And I just watched those two teams play on Saturday, and Washington kicked the crap out of Michigan State. So why the heck is Michigan State ranked above Washington? Voters, this makes no sense. Yeah, like the one the, the vote that happens right after the two teams play, that's always the most confounding. That uh, doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's they, they didn't just beat them. They really pushed them around. And this is a trend with Michigan State and with Mel Tucker. He's brought this program an incredibly – long distance in an incredibly short amount of time. But you pretty much know within like your first drink when they're going to get their asses kicked. Uh, and that's been the story since the beginning of last season. You know very early. This was a game you just knew early, like end of the first quarter. You knew yeah. they were going to get whipped. Um, I don't know what that says about them. Like they seem so well prepared and so energized. I don't. I don't know what that really... Like, why, when they get their feet knocked out from under them, they can never really get back up? Do you have any thoughts on it? I don't know what it says about the Spartans. But um, I think this year's team, pretty obviously not as good as last year's team. Still an eight- or nine-win team, but this is not like that 11- or 10-win team, I don't think. Certainly not in the regular season, obviously. Well, we were all just guessing on Michigan State as they were sort of inching toward the top 10 because they had beaten Western Michigan and Akron and you know, they're just not going to glean a lot from that. They've had a lot of roster turnover. And this was the game where we were going to learn. And what we learned is, you know, they're not going to be a factor in that division, in the Big Ten East. They're clearly number four. 
at best. I'm more interested in Washington at this point because <laughs> this is a program that, um, I mean, first of all, Washington should always be good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you know, maybe not always, but they've got a great fan base, resources, campus, stadium. They're in good recruiting territory. It's it's a unique kind of setup, and I've always felt like Washington is is one of those programs that, that should be comfortably within the top 20 most years. They made a hire when Chris Peterson left in, in Jimmy Lake that was a complete disaster. It was a disaster on the field. It was a disaster off the field. You know, it, it looked good on paper. He, he checked a lot of boxes uh, for what you'd want in a college football head coach. He was a very accomplished defensive coordinator there under Chris Peterson. It, it didn't work. You know, it was bad. And they end up pulling the plug in, you know, late in the 2021 season. And they hire Kalen DeBoer. And, you know, that's another one of those. It's, it's a different philosophy. Instead of like the hot coordinator who was on your staff, you end up going to a guy who had built a program in a lower, uh, you know, in a lesser league. And he had done that at Fresno State. And to me, Washington looks like a real football team. And I just have to tip my cap to, to Kalen DeBoer to get that thing sorted out so quickly. Yeah, and also to, to Michael Penix, the way that he yeah. played Indiana transfer. <clears throat> it's been like two years. He had that amazing COVID year. So it's great to see him healthy and, and slinging it. Maybe we should just take a second and give some respect to the Pac-12. I mean, their bottom group of teams is quite bad. Like, uh, I've watched Colorado play football. It's barely football. It's like, uh, it's the beyond meat of football. It's it's an imitation. Um, but they've got a top group here. SC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon State. Am I missing anybody? No. Those five teams. They're not, yeah. like, equal to the top five in the SEC, obviously. But that's a pretty solid top five. That's your top half of the league. And all of them are either in the top 25 or they're just knocking on the door or even deserving of being in the top 25. The the league might be better than we thought, or at least more competitive and less of an embarrassment than we thought. Clearly, they're not as good as the other power five leagues, but they're better than we thought. So kudos. And then the last team in the top 25 I want to discuss a little bit is Florida at number 22. I would not put Florida in my top 25 at this point coming off that loss to Kentucky at home. Yes, they did get the good win over Iowa to start the season, but I watched a lot of the second half of the game. They played Saturday against South Florida and Florida was very lucky to win. Very lucky. And for most of that game, they really were outplayed. Uh, Maya culpa, Anthony Richardson, talented player. He's not ready. He's not a guy that, we need to be talking about as a Heisman candidate. He's not a guy we need to be talking about as a first-round draft pick. He's a guy we need to talk about in terms of, boy, there's a lot of developing to do there as a passer. He is not Vince Young. He is not Cam Newton. <laughs> he has got a long way to go. Yeah, and I think that he made a comment after the game, which is might be a little bit telling you, something like, you know, I can't be Superman. I thought, yeah, is that what he said? I didn't even yeah. want to paraphrase it. Yeah, and something I, and like I the, the point he's making is like, 
I, I'm the offense. Like, I'm it. And I can't be taking chances, like, with running the football, being aggressive the way I want, because if I get injured, then we go four and eight. <clears throat> I don't know if that's true or not or what, but they're not. Um, the last two weeks, I think, have been a little bit tough for Florida and, and maybe a little bit of a recalibration. But we do have one week one overreactions all the time. This wasn't as bad as Kenny Thrill when we gave him the Heisman back in like 2013 at South Carolina. But or was he at a, he was at A and M? He was he was he was at A and M and they won the opener South at South Carolina. I was at that game. It was a Thursday night opener, yeah. and it was you know he was he looked like the best college football player ever. Right. Uh, we did that to a much lesser degree with Anthony Richardson, not us, us and everybody else. Uh, so we'll pump the brakes a bit. This is what we thought Florida would be in the in the preseason, right? I did. This is a seven and five team. It's not like gangbusters. Uh, if they lost to South Florida, that would have been embarrassing. But this is just who they are. They're they're pretty average. Let's uh, move on to the coaching carousel. We have a second Power Five coach fired. It is Herm Edwards. Arizona State loses to Eastern Michigan, and. There was a really interesting video of Herm walking off the field and huddling with Ray Anderson, the athletic director, and Michael Crow, the the president. There are people who have interpreted this video as like he got fired walking off the field, which I actually don't think was the case. But like it was just such an amazing body language study of of a president who was just seething with anger. Herm, who's kind of like shell shocked. And an athletic director who you know is trying to you know be the consoler. Um, look, when Herm was hired at Arizona State, you could have predicted it was going to go this way. This is a guy who had not had you know he he had not had college coaching experience since like I don't know his twenties maybe. He had been in a TV studio. They rolled it out at Arizona State as sort of this new leadership model. Remember that? Where Herm was going to kind of be like the figurehead or something, and it was going to be like a corporate structure type deal, and a lot of delegation and a lot of different titles. And, you know, but you started to like dig deeper into it. And Ray Anderson used to be an agent, and Herm Edwards was one of his clients. And really what's happened at Arizona State in the Ray Anderson era is that he's taken basically his defunct sports agency and imported all of it to the Arizona State Athletic Department, including all of his cronies who are filling some of these positions of, you know, deputy AD or whatever. I mean, the whole place is just rife with his cronies and made his you know, former client, the head football coach. And it's just gross and it's disgusting and it's not working. And if Arizona State is actually going to be serious about this, they need to blow the whole thing up, including Ray Anderson, because he's as much of a problem as Herm. And I'm I, this is a program we all talk about as having so much potential They've got so many ingredients of being good location-wise, school-wise, and yet they just keep stepping on their own toes. Yeah, it's funny when I hear Arizona State described as a sleeping giant. Like, we hear that a lot. Arizona State, sleeping giant, blah, blah, blah. 
these dudes are just like comatose at this point. This is yeah. This is not a sleeping giant. They're just dead. Um, this is a dormant, dead, dead giant. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. Let's get real. The issue with Ray Anderson, as you laid out, is what sort of candidate who has options wants to go to Arizona State when there's going to be wholesale athletic department change if it's not already happened by the time the hiring cycle starts, at least in the near future. I, I don't know. I think you do yourself a disservice if you let the same administration make another football hire. I don't even know who they would get, to be quite honest. Um, I would say one positive thing about Herm is that he actually did better than we thought he would. Like, just record-wise. Just record-wise. Um, everything else was a disaster. And they they called it, like, a new corporate structure in, in true corporate fashion. Uh, they broke just about every rule that you could break, um, especially during COVID. So um, this move, I thought, was way overdue. And uh, back to the drawing board for Arizona State. At a time yeah. when they could be, like, they're getting out in front of this, kind of, like, in September, they're still going to, like have the fifth, sixth, seventh pick of power five coaches of power five openings, just based off what we think might come open. So I don't know who they're going to get. I don't even want to guess at this point. Well, the name to watch for me would be Kenny Dillingham, who is the offensive coordinator now at Oregon. Uh, He was with Mike Norvell at Florida state and uh, Memphis and at Arizona state as well. He is actually from Mm -hmm. Arizona uh, started there as like a GA or something like that. And, you know, if Oregon ends up having a pretty good year offensively, he's he's certainly got a reputation already. He's a good recruiter. He's a guy who would, would definitely want the job and, and, you know, could have some interesting ideas on, on how to make it uh, how to make it a, a prime time place in the Pac-12. But uh, we'll, we'll have to just kind of wait and see who's making the call. I think that's the biggest thing. Who's actually going to be making the decisions on the um, on the hire because if it's Ray Anderson then again then God only knows what what he's going to come up with this time all right there's a lot of different directions we could go here let's um, let's talk about Kansas three and0 Kansas Lance Leipold is now like the new guy and you know this is somebody who's I think he's about 57 58 years old yeah talk about becoming the the hot coach in the country at this point in his career, uh, they, they play Duke who's also undefeated. That's a fun, you know, college basketball matchup that now looks like a good football game. Uh, but you know, Kansas at three and O is, is interesting. And it's, it's been a very long time since they've had, had something to be excited about. Yeah. And, and not a long time under light bulb. I mean, he got hired after the spring last year and the toughest circumstances you can imagine. And then, so really with just one full off season and a bunch of practices and a bunch of losses, he's got KU in this spot for the first time since 2009 or 2008, whatever it was. So, um, yeah, he's 58 coaches. Usually at this point, you know who they are, but this could be a real, like a real nice fit for a, a program, uh, whether it's Kansas or elsewhere that wants a guy who just knows how to win and knows how to build a program. A lot of Dave Clawson in Lance Leipold, that he has a system yeah. Um, he, he's, re- it's repeated success at multiple levels of competition and, uh, it almost just takes time and water and patience. So it's good to see, and it's good to see KU back as a story. They've been a punchline for, you know, 12 years. Well, and it also goes to show you that 
there's a lot of good coaches at various levels of, of football who in theory could come in and, and succeed in division one. You know, Lance Leipold was at division three and was one of the great coaches at that level and won a bunch of championships, but you never heard his name come up for division one coaching jobs. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, Buffalo, and, and I'll give Danny White credit. Danny White's now the athletic director of Tennessee. Before that, he was at UCF. Before that, he was at Buffalo. He hired Lance Leipold to to coach that program, which, you know, maybe at Buffalo you look at it and say you've got nothing to lose, you know, there because they had been bad. And so, you know, you're not going to get big-time candidates. Why not look at a Division three coach? But he had immediate success there, too, almost immediate success. Uh, turned it around. And – now he's kind of doing the same thing in Kansas. I, I do think, you know, not, not that it's easy. It's not easy to look at, you know, to even necessarily define, like, who are the good coaches in Division Two, Division Three. But there's definitely guys out there who, if you brought them to Division One, could could handle that job. Yeah, and I think what makes Leipold interesting, uh, and this is just my, like, kind of read into his personality and, and what he's about, I don't think, like, winning turns them on that much obviously that's the end goal <laughs> you know what i mean i i and not to say like he doesn't care that's not I, I just feel like he's much more driven by this part of it um like the part of building, building. up a, yeah. yeah like this is what really gets him going i think and obviously the results then become part of it and you experience and that's like a bigger payoff i just think he loves this part of the job so uh He's like not option one for a Nebraska, for instance. But look, like a guy, regardless of his age, has a proven track record of building winners in adverse circumstances, including at, in the most adverse circumstance in the Power Five. I, I just think that's powerful. So, yeah, he, he deserves to get a hard look at a lot of these jobs based off what he's done at KU. Anything else we need to recap from last week? Uh, Appalachian State, crazy win over Troy on a Hail Mary uh, which was just an amazing finish to, to their weekend because they had game day there and, you know, just incredible scenes, incredible vibes uh, coming out of that. It's just kind of one of those, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. And uh, they certainly enjoyed and had every right to enjoy uh, that moment in the sun. Um, awesome win for them. I'm trying to think, was there anything else that, that caught your fancy from last week? No, it's good you mentioned App State. I just really quickly want to go for their season so far. They had a 62-point fourth quarter with UNC in the opener in week one. Uh, then they beat AM in College Station week two. And then last week had the, just – there are a couple ways to win on a Hail Mary. Uh, the tip is the most famous one. Typically, like, the, the ball doesn't get tipped back to the seven-yard line. And then you have to run it in from the seven-yard line on Hail Marys. So that was new and interesting. So they've had a hell of a year. My concern is that it's been a very emotional thing and, and these guys are going to crash. But I defy you to find a more uh, ridiculous and just roller coaster first three weeks than what they've had. Shout out to Tulane for uh, going on the road and winning at Kansas State. That's a that's an awesome win for them. They, they might have a pretty you know good team that could contend. I mean, the AAC – Everyone going into the year talking about Houston, well, Houston's definitely played below expectations to this mm-hmm. point. Cincinnati is is not even close to what they were a year ago. 
Tulane has got every right to think they, they have a shot to, to compete in that league. Um, also, a shout-out to Marcus Freeman, finally getting a win at Notre Dame. They uh, It was a struggle. It was uh, almost not a good day for him, but they were able to beat Cal. So... Anything else? Uh, anything else from last week you want to go over real quick? Yeah, I'm struggling. I was gonna like say congrats to Marcus Freeman. I, I, I I'm struggling with that. Um, having watched that game, I, I don't really know if congratulations are, are in order. Uh, yeah, congrats. The, just because have if if they had lost that game, I was just thinking about how Whew. bad that would be. How bad that would be. So congrats on not losing to Cal. Well, and it might still get bad. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it, just it not can yet. Get, it can but it could. All right, let's move on to week four. I don't know that. Uh, once again, we do not have an awesome slate on paper. Does not mean it's it's not going to be entertaining. It probably will be. I think we have to start with Clemson Wake Forest because I think this is the game that's going to reveal the most about whether the ACC has a chance to get into the playoff mix. This is a matchup that has been very good for Clemson. It's even when Wake Forest is good, they seem to not be able to keep up athletically with Clemson. Again, I mentioned it at the beginning of the pod. I just am not sold on this Clemson team at all. It feels just like way too much of a struggle on offense. Their defense is good. I thought they played around a little too much against tech, uh, against Louisiana Tech last week. This is a game they need to be dialed in for. It's noon on ABC. You know Wake is going to be hyped to get these guys at home. What do you think is going to happen here? I think what's going to happen is what we've seen Clemson do to Wake a lot, including yeah. last year when a team that was offensively challenged just kind of put them in a box. I, I don't – Clemson's defense looks fine. They look as good maybe as you expect. I just there's so much magic with that Venables unit and what he did with that group. I just I'm a little bit concerned, but uh, yeah, I think Clemson's gonna gonna win this one on defense, and we'll be talking next week again. I mean, nice win for Clemson. They won by ten or they won by thirteen. They look good on defense, but still the offense this that blah blah blah. So I don't think this is gonna show us that Clemson's legit, but I, I just think they have Wake's number. So I think that holds up on Saturday again. Florida at Tennessee, this was obviously a game that for us when we were coming up in you know high school, college, starting in this business, that was one of the games of the year. It is definitely not that now, even though both teams are ranked. Tennessee's an 11-point favorite. Based on the way the Vols have looked offensively, Hendon Hooker's having a really good year. I just can't see Florida scoring enough to keep up. I mean, they don't have the weapons. Yeah, I don't think that you can hold Tennessee if you're a Florida under 21 points. I just don't. I can think they hold them? I don't right think now. they can hold them under 35. No, but I think they need to. I need they need to keep them 24 to 21 to win this game. I think um, just based off again, like it's hard to make this comparison because there's no common opponents and you're not seeing Tennessee play high quality competition. You have seen Florida play at Kentucky, but I, I think that. 
Florida's offense is so challenged right now to do things that are outside the norm or outside the expected of what you think they're going to be on every single given play that I, I just I don't have a lot of faith in them like scoring 28 to 31 without turnovers. One thing about Hendon Hooker, he just doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, it's incredible since he got the job. 42 touchdowns and two picks. I mean, it's just video yeah. game stuff. So I think 11 points sounds high, but I think it feels about right. I think this is like an 8 to 14 point game for Tennessee as long as they don't turn the ball over. Arkansas, Texas A&M, as usual, playing in Jerry World. A&M's two-point favorite. To me, this is wrong team favorite. To me, Arkansas mm-hmm. clearly should be the favorite in this game. So you think Arkansas can exert its will on A&M? Because that's what this game is going to be about, right? Two teams that are just going to try to slow the game. Not slow the game, but control I think the flow. Arkansas, the I think Arkansas has much better grasp on who they are at this point yeah. than, than A&M. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's an aspect of getting caught looking ahead last week. Or, you know, Petrino on the sidelines. Like we mentioned it briefly, that could have played a role. Just in guys being nervous or on edge, whatever. Even if they weren't around for Petrino. So, yeah, I th- I do think they bounce back. I think this is an ugly game. It's a close game. It's really hard to pick. But, yeah, Arkansas is the safer pick. But we know A&M's good. Like, we know they have the bodies. So it's like I'm almost waiting for them to break out. And, and clearly they could break out on Saturday against, against the Hawks. Now, I don't understand how this makes any sense, Paul. But in the Pac-12 this week, you have a game that I would like to watch which is USC Mm -hmm. going to Oregon State. I will not watch it because it's on the Pac-12 network. Mm. Instead, the Pac-12 after dark game on ESPN is a game I really have no interest in watching, which is Utah at Arizona State post-term. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, it's so boring. Um, That SC-Oregon State game, that's – no one watches Oregon State play football. Even in Corvallis, there's a... That's a real game. Yeah, it's a real game. That's a legitimately good team. Jonathan Smith has done outstanding, outstanding. If I was Arizona State, I would be hard to get him from Corvallis. But if you pony up, maybe you can get Jonathan, Jonathan Smith. He's he's done such a nice job. Um, USC is... I, I think they're going to win, but they're going to have to earn it. I think Oregon State's going to put up a lot of points on them. I think this will be a shootout. It'll be a lot of fun. And unfortunately, like you said, it's it's hard for a lot of America to watch this game. And that's a travesty for the Pac-12, a continued travesty going on five, six, seven years, however long it's been. The national Fox game for the Pac-12 is actually another one that I think will be somewhat interesting, which is Oregon at Washington State. We have not, I don't think, even talked at all about Washington State on this pod yet, but they're 3-0. and Jake Dickert, who got the job last year, who coached his way into getting the job yeah. last year after Nick Rolovich um, – did one of the dumbest things in the history of college football and got himself fired for not taking a vaccine. Um, 24 to 17 over Idaho. They go to Wisconsin and win 17 to 14. And then they roll over Colorado state last week, who is probably one of the worst teams in, in college football three and Oh, they get Oregon on the Palouse. That's going to be cool. I'm going to watch. Yeah, that it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm going to tune into it. I think Oregon's going to, going to win pretty handily. But, uh, you do? Wow. Okay. Yeah, I do. And that's no disrespect. Washington State winning at Wisconsin like that, you're going to have my respect all season long, the Cougs. And I hope they do get the six wins because, like you, what you said, uh, Mickey Joseph, for example, the interim guy at Nebraska, he's probably not going to be able to coach his way into the job. And that doesn't make him 
uh, unique. That's like 99% of these yeah. poor dudes who get the job in October or whatever. So a lot of respect for Dickert to earn it, to keep it. Uh, I just don't think uh, if Oregon from Saturday, past Saturday shows up, I, I, how, how do they lose? Um, if that team shows up, they may win by 28. So Wazoo's a nice story, but let's not put them in the same class as the top three or so in the league. Important Big 12 game, Baylor at Iowa State. And it's interesting, the last few years, Iowa State has pretty clearly been overrated. Mm-hmm. Well, not maybe not two years ago, but last year they were definitely overrated. They might be a little underrated right now at 3-0, having won at Iowa. They beat Ohio 43-10. to They get Baylor at home. Is this the Matt Campbell renaissance moment? <laughs> It's a revenge tour. Uh, one thing about this year's team that is different than every other team that Matt Campbell has had is that they've played well in September. Uh, this has been a program under Campbell that has been awful early and really good late. Like maybe this year is a flip, or maybe this is the year where it all comes together unexpectedly and Iowa State wins 10 games or something like that. Let's talk about it next week because we're going to know all about it by the end of the day on Saturday. Uh, I feel like I've got a good handle on Baylor. Uh, they're a little bit challenged at quarterback. I think they are uh, a little bit stuck in their ways. Uh, they are going to run the ball in situations where you may not think they're going to run the ball. They're going to fly around on defense. I know what Baylor's about. I just don't have a grasp on Iowa State at all. So I, I almost don't want to pick this game because I really don't know about the Cyclones, except that they're well-coached, uh, they know who they are, and they play with energy. Um So they definitely have a shot. I would just take Baylor based off comfort, knowing what Baylor can do and what they can't do. And then finally, the 7.30 ABC game is Wisconsin at Ohio State, a game that we are used to being a huge deal, but uh, because of the aforementioned Washington State win in Madison, we're, we're not really talking very much right now about Wisconsin as a contender in the Big Ten. Uh, But, you know, Ohio State – like we need to see them again against a real team because that 21 to 10 win against Notre Dame maybe does not feel or look as good now as it, it did the night it happened. Uh, they, they come back and, you know, Arkansas state Toledo, those are just glorified practices for Ohio state. This is their first real test of the season since that Notre Dame game. And, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have a handle yet on, on who Ohio State is. They're 17 and a half point favorites. If I were a betting man, I'd be a little bit afraid to lay 17 and a half points against Wisconsin. Hmm. Yeah, that would – I wouldn't want to lose money that way. Um, and I, I definitely wouldn't bet that. But Ohio State's looked really good. I mean, they scored 77 points against Toledo last week. Say what you want about Toledo. I still think that's like a top eight or ten group of five team in the country. Uh, so I, I do put some stock into that. Uh, Wisconsin doesn't have the bodies to stop Ohio State. I think Ohio State can score 40 on Wisconsin. I don't know the last time I really thought they could do that going into a game, but I really think Ohio State could drop 35 or 42 points to the Badgers. If they do that, Dan, I think we know that Ohio State's offense is, is legitimately is legitimately legit. They're good to go. All right, well, that's something to watch for this weekend, and we will definitely talk about it next week at this time. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the College Football Fix. 
We drop new episodes every Tuesday discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to College Football Fix wherever you listen to podcasts and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. Thank you to producer Emily for Paul Meyerberg. I'm Dan Walken. We'll see you next time. The College Football Fix Podcast. 